here it is. The most listened to radio show on the planet. Even the other stations are tuned in too. Hi, this is Adam Sandy with Zamperla, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hi, this is Jake Coco with Rocky Mountain Construction, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hey, this is Aaron from Pursuit of Thrills, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. This is Marcus Lashock, the Roller Coaster Bureau Chief at WGN TV Studios in Chicago. You are listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Coaster Challenge Podcast is here. It's time to face your fears. Get that theme park therapy and let us both your Coaster ears. Challenge Podcast is here. Your fear can disappear. We know that theme park therapy can drive all your tears. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? We accept because you know we're not average. You're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. A journey where people become fearful to fearless, all from riding roller coasters. So please, secure your hats and glasses, and keep your hands and arms inside the podcast. It's time to accept the Coaster Challenge with your hosts, Andrew Locke. Hi everyone, this is Andrew, one of the executive producers of the Coaster Challenge podcast. I'm here with a special guest today. I am here with Chris from Airtime Thrills. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Andrew. Nice to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So, Chris, to start off with, why don't you tell myself and our audience about yourself, uh, as well as your love of parks and coasters? Yeah. So, uh, my name's Chris. I run the Airtime Thrills YouTube channel. Um, I've been an enthusiast ever since I was about 12 or 13 years old. Um, I was a pretty big-time enthusiast before, like, around the time I started high school. Um, and then I started working at a park, kind of fell out of the coaster enthusiasm for about a decade. And then once my daughter got old enough to start riding coasters again, it kind of started getting back into it. So, um, yeah, so I, I decided, I mean, we started, started an Instagram and then all of a sudden that turned into a YouTube channel. And five years later, it's turned into what it is today, which is like uh, another full-time job. So that's, that's pretty much my uh, my journey here. And I, I grew up in Southern California uh, for, you know, I lived there for 33 years. And then the last couple of years, I've been here in uh, Tulsa, the Tulsa area, Oklahoma, which is a, a big change, but there's, a, there's advantages of living in the center of the country, for sure. Oh, nice. Tulsa. Right. I, you know, I think you and I might have talked about this at one point, but uh, I recently started a new job and I work remote. I live in Orlando and I work out of my home, which is mm-hmm. great. Uh, but my company, and I do certainly play the headquarters there um, periodically. Uh, my company's based in Tulsa. So oh, know, yeah. I kind of know that Tulsa is not exactly Coaster Enthusiast Central like here in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not much of any parks wise, but it's it's a nice area. There's, uh, I mean, one of the things I've noticed about Tulsa, uh, it's almost like, uh, like Chicago in a way or something in terms of it seems to be like chain restaurant chain capital. Oh yeah, like, you name it. There's a restaurant chain there, like if, if, you know the chain. You know, I should, well, let me rephrase. You name it. You know, whatever restaurant chain you can play in, uh, somewhere to name a restaurant chain, it's going to be there. I, I was blown yeah. away by the the selection. You know, considering the size of Tulsa and everything, I guess it's the test market or something. But yeah, I mean, I I'm, I live about 20 minutes south of the main city, and we have two two areas where you pretty much can find anything you want. 
um, any yeah, store, yeah. any restaurant, any, so people think of Oklahoma is like the plains and, you know, it's like, it's like this, you know, just like desolate area. It's like, no, it's, it's pretty developed, especially where I am at least. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot there, which is uh, convenient for sure. For sure. So you mentioned that you got back into coasters again when your daughter was old enough to ride. So how old is she now? She just turned 10. So okay. yeah, she started riding when she was maybe like two and a half. So that was around 2015 or so. That's when we started and started paying attention a little bit more. There's a lot of things that happened between 2004 and 2015 that I just did, had no idea about. Like I, I might hear it in passing. Like I remember when Gatekeeper opened, I was kind of like, "Oh, interesting, Cedar Point's getting a new coaster," but I had no right. idea. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, all right. Yeah, no worries. I mean, you know, not for the same reason, but for me, I kind of fell away from coasters and parks. I used to go on road trips and I was an ACE member originally back around the same t- time period, actually almost I- identical to that from like 2004 or so until about 2017. I kind of wasn't really doing parks other than going to Disney. I wasn't really doing a lot of parks just here and there. Uh, if I traveled internationally for work, I'd go to go to parks, but I wasn't doing road trips and I wasn't an ACE member during those years or, or any club member. And then 2017, I, I kind of, found my way into it again so i can definitely understand where you're coming from yeah uh you know you're, you're talking about your daughter you know riding at two and a half or starting to ride at two and a half so actually that's a good segue into our next question which is not so much when she was two and a half but maybe when you were two and a half or five or whatever it was you know that you rode your first coaster um how old were you and what was the coaster that you rode the first yeah time? so so you know I, I lived i grew up in santa clarita which is just it's the same town that that match mountains in yeah um but you know, I just never really had any interest in going. My parents really never I never really expressed interest in it, so they never took me. Um, I think we went once in 1992, but I was four or five years old. I remember a few things about it, but we didn't go on any of the rides or anything. Um, I don't think I rode any of the coasters or anything. Um, I remember back in '98 when I was around 10, um, we went to uh Santa Monica Pier and I rode the West Coaster. And that was awesome. But in general, I was pretty afraid of coasters. Um, I didn't really want to ride anything. Um like we went to Elish Gardens in 96. Uh, I didn't want to ride anything there. Um, and it, we'd go to Knott's once in a while. And then it was one time we went and my dad was pretty much like, you know, like we spent all this money to get in here. You got to, you got to ride something. <laughs> so it kind of forced me to go on Montezuma's Revenge. And um, that kind of unlocked some of my uh, fear of coasters, but not really so much. Um, I kept, I think after that, I was more willing to write other things. Like I was afraid to go on Boomerang, but I still did. Um, but I was still pretty afraid. And it wasn't until 2000 when I went to a birthday party at Magic Mountain where I was like, okay, you're going to have to ride things. And um, the first ride we went on was Viper. And I was just terrified, the, the, the whole lift hill going up there. Um, but, you know, that day I rode everything there were some rides that i was reluctant to like goliath i was especially afraid of superman i was especially afraid of but then like like colossus was fine like i if i was like if i can ride viper i can ride colossus i can ride cyclone i can ride riddler's revenge um so that kind of got me going and then i think it was not long after that i started becoming interested in joining forums and 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 i didn't travel until 2002 but you know, like we'd go up to Marine World in Vallejo uh, that that next year. And then, you know, we'd go to Knott's and ride Ghost Rider. It was, 
uh, it was kind of a slow rollout, but yeah, I would say by 2000, that was pretty much over my fear of coasters. Okay. So you said West Coaster, you think was your first? Coaster I think that was my, I think West Coaster was my first um, real coaster. Yeah. Okay. And then Montezuma Revenge was your first, you know, inverting coaster. Yeah. Um, it was my first like right. extreme coaster. Yeah. Right. And then Viper is probably your first really, you know, big coaster. <laughs> I would say so, yeah. Yeah, okay. And how old were you when you rode Viper the first time? Uh, I was 12. Oh, okay, okay, so still pretty young. All right, yep. so you talked about Montezuma's Revenge riding that, you know, kind of got a you know some fear uh, out of you, but it sounds like, you know, you still had some things going on there, maybe even after riding Viper a little bit, you mentioned about being intimidated by Goliath, which mm-hmm. at that point was brand new. That was like the new yep. coaster there at Magic Mountain. Uh, I know that because I moved to Southern California in 2000 and I'd never been to Magic Mountain before. And I, you know, got a season pass and started going and it was sort of sort of my home park, even though I lived in San Diego it was my home, like big park. And uh, I remember Goliath being excited for that because that had just opened. Uh, and that was actually before I went to Cedar Point ever. So yeah, I think Goliath was the the tallest coaster at that time that I'd ridden in 2000. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so was it Viper or was there a later coaster that you really feel like you got rid of your fear on? Like the, the one that really scared you the most, even after conquering? You know, smaller... I, would say, I would say the last coaster that I was afraid of yeah. was probably Millennium Force. Um, okay. The first time I rode that, that was terrifying. That was 2002. I was okay. 14 um, or 13 or 14. Yeah. Um, I think I was 13 at the time still, or I don't know, 14. Anyway, um, Millennium Force was, I remember being terrified the first time I rode that. And then there's other rides that I was scared of, like um, Supreme Scream at Knott's was something that it took me a long time to, I would ride it, but I would still really be nervous on it. I'm yeah. kind of over that at this point. Um, so I would say I, I would say like like the SNS drop tower is probably the last ride I was like officially nervous to ride. Um, okay, maybe, maybe the Sky Coaster in Kiss- Kissimmee. Um, I rode <laughs> that in, in 2018. That was a little nerve wracking, but I don't. I wouldn't say I was like scared of it. It was just kind of like, uh oh, what is what is this? <laughs> What's this going to feel like? So you talked about when you rode Viper, you're still scared of Goliath and Magic Mountain. Mm-hmm. Talked about even after riding Goliath. You were scared of Millennium Force. Yep. And then you're talking about being scared of, like, you know, towers. So I'm putting together a picture here. You know, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to probably figure out here that height is is your main fear, Dominator, right? Your fear driver. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, like I was afraid of Montezuma's Revenge before I wrote it, and that really wasn't a height right. thing. I think it was right. just a roller. I don't even remember. I think... The weird thing about my fear of coasters really wasn't maybe the height. It was um, falling out, which okay. sounds okay. stupid. But like, I remember thinking like on Superman going straight up that tower that I was going <laughs> to slip out the back, um, which is right. really, like, really stupid. But at the same time, when you ride hang time, it feels like you're going to slip out the back. Right. Going up that lip till. Um, but like with Goliath, when I first saw that it had lap bars and not like shoulder restraints, I was thinking like, oh, like that's that's kind of creepy. Like, what if you fall out? Like I was... I was just thinking that and didn't want to fall out of the ride, which is kind of Got funny it. now because I'm always Mr. Like, don't get stapled, get the airtime. Um, but back then I was like, staple yourself because don't you don't want to fall out of the ride. <laughs> All right. So in terms of, you know, truly finally conquering your fear on a ride, would you say that 
Millennium Force was more significant, or say Supreme Scream or one of the SNS towers? Um, I don't really remember getting over the fear of the SNS drop towers. Um, okay, but, but I know that now I'm like I can ride them no problem. It's perfectly fine. Um, I remember when I wrote Goliath, it took me maybe six or ten times before I was like not nervous anymore to ride it. Okay. Um, but I, that was back when I first started getting ride. I think after the first time on Millennium Force, that was fine. But that yeah, first time was scary. Um, pretty okay. I'd never read anything quite like that before. Okay, so when you got off of Millennium Force, because Millennium Force sounds like the significant one, like mm-hmm. the one that you really kind of woke up and like, okay, I'm not scared of these anymore. So right. when you when you when you got off of Millennium Force, how were you feeling that first time? Uh, I was perfectly fine after the first time. It was just the the walk up there, sitting down and, and waiting for the lift hill. I think once the ride was going, I was fine. And and un- unlike Goliath, I didn't feel like I was um, going to be scared of it after that first ride. And that was the case. Right. But by then, I was talk- a, more of an experienced rider at that point. I would I'd been riding for a couple of years at that point, so it was just the first right. first ride jitters. So when we we talk about the fear journey, which is what we're talking about, your fear journey here, it's a common, you know, very common conception that. It seems like a lot of people have, they talk about when they stop being scared on that scariest ride, the one that mm-hmm. intimidated the most. And it's all about the anticipation. So it's, you know, the line, the getting seated and having the restraints pulled down. It's like, okay, this, you can't back out now. I mean, you could, you could make a, make a big production and, you know, have them let you out, but you know, basically you're committed, you know, once the restraints are down and of course, once it, once it, once it launches, you know, once it dispatches, I should say. So, but then once you kind of, you know, get to the top of the lift hill, or the launch happens, whatever, whatever it is, then everything's fine because the anticipation's gone. So, mm-hmm. and you can think about this with, with fear in real life, you know, you're scared of a test. I mean, I, you know, I've been, you know, I know I've been scared of tests, but like once I start taking a test, you know, once I'm kind of into it and answering a few questions, right. I'm like, Oh, I'm doing okay. I'm not scared anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping myself calm. Even if I run across a question that's, like, oh, boy, I don't know. I'm not sure about this one. You know, it's not the end of the world. So it's all that buildup before, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to have to deal with this tomorrow or in five minutes or whatever it may be. So what you've shared there makes a lot of sense. Um, now, when I asked you about how you felt afterwards, and you said you felt fine, great. But talk to me about any positive feelings, any feelings like of of success or, or you know, feeling good about yourself because of you not giving in to fear. Like, talk to me about yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I think at that point I was not going to back out by any any circumstance. It was, there was never a, uh, a thought that I was going to chicken out or anything right. at that point. Um, so I don't I don't think there was any sense of accomplishment afterward. But I think uh, when I first started writing rides at Knots and at Magic Mountain, there was that sense of accomplishment. Like you were able to go there, uh, not maybe not necessarily on an individual individual ride, but uh being terrified of half the rides at the park and by the end you'd ridden everything multiple times and you're still here to tell the story about it Um, right right. yeah so even though the lingering nervousness about goliath and that drop and the lap bar and everything um yeah i would say just i was i think goliath was probably the one where after every ride i felt accomplished okay so it was, it, was, it, was my, it was my favorite ride for a while. Like I was like a big, like the number my number one coaster, and it wasn't necessarily because I loved it; it's just because I felt like good about the fact that I was able to ride it. 
Okay, so it sounds like we're kind of going a different direction here. So it sounds like almost you're you're saying that Goliath is the one that scared you the most because yeah. okay, and so then you felt accomplished after writing Goliath more so than feeling accomplished after writing Millennium Force. Right, because because at that point okay. I'd been going to Magic Mountain for a couple of years. I'd been in knots. I'd been in the Marine World. I'd right, been to Disney. Right. I'd been to a bunch of places. It was just really like Millennium Force was so intimidating because it was this little skinny track with that straight down drop 310 feet tall it's like it was right. just something i'd never i was yeah um but i wouldn't say i was i think at that point in my coaster riding life it wasn't like oh, i felt accomplished about riding okay. it. it was just a little bit of jitters just walking up to that enormous ridiculous looking ride okay okay so all right so let's talk about then after riding goliath then so mm-hmm. um you felt you said you felt accomplished you know can you think about Anything beyond that in terms of having ridden, conquered Goliath, how it impacted your life, conquering the fear on that ride? Um, I don't really think I had a lot of, um, you know, other personal issues that roller coasters affected uh, in any way. It seems like um, other than the fact that roller coasters became like my number one hobby for a couple of years for a while, I kind of got like obsessed with it. Um, but I didn't have a story where I was, you know, af- afraid of, of different things and coasters broke me out of my shell or of like okay. speaking okay. or anything like that. But it was definitely impactful in my life in terms of the fact that I spent all my time on message boards and meeting people <laughs> at Magic Mountain that I met on the message boards and building coasters, roller coaster tycoon when I wasn't at parks. And yeah, just for between like 2000 and 2002, that was pretty much what I did all the time. Okay. So kind of your early, early teens, you yeah. kind of became obsessed with coasters and that's why you wound up, up at say about 14 years old, you know, I guess convincing your parents or, you know, however you wound up going to Cedar Point for the first time, right? Yeah. My dad was kind of part knew of that. that I was, you know, back then we didn't have social media. So we, we would go on message boards and park websites. I remember just like visiting all the park websites and seeing all the stock pictures that they would have the rides they didn't really have video or anything. So um, it's also interesting watching like the travel channel or the discovery channel. They had specials on roller coasters back then. And it was just amazing seeing these things in motion for the first time. It's something that kids these days don't really appreciate that. It's like, yeah, you don't, you didn't see these rides in action unless you were, right. you saw them in person or on TV. Um, Good point. Good point. Yeah. This is before YouTube and yep. yeah, you didn't see video on the internet. There really wasn't part. any video. I, yeah. I don't remember ever watching yeah. any videos on the internet. It was so slow. Yeah, it, was, it was just wasn't able to handle it, and the flash wasn't a thing yet, and yeah, all those things. So yeah, for sure. Okay, so so going beyond fear, kind of you know, to going well beyond that, how would you say that coasters and parks have had a significant positive impact on your life? Uh, it's just been, uh, especially when we were living so close to Magic Mountain, um, it's, it was just a really nice thing to like a to do with my daughter, um, especially on the days where my wife was working. Um, I'd be like, Oh, you're working all day on this Sunday, you know, let's go to Magic Mountain and we're gonna go ride roller coasters all day. And we'd and we'd go to the kitty uh, Bugs Bunny World and she'd ride everything there. And then I'd keep measuring her and measuring her and then oh, you're 36 inches. Let's go on let's go across the park to Scrambler. And then the next thing was 42 inches. Like, oh, that unlocks like six more rides that you can ride. And then it was 48 inches. And so you just kept knocking out those nice. little increments of of how tall she was. And um, 
Yeah, it was fun. And and it's just uh she's almost ridden 200 coasters now and she just turned 10. Wow. And wow. and like when I was 10 I had like one credit, you know. So um whenever she she I mean she's not like a gung-ho rider, like she's not going to like bug me to ride the world's tallest and fastest coaster. She's kind of nervous still when it comes to riding things. Right. This past summer when we went to when on our trip, she was still pretty nervous about riding a lot of stuff, but she really broke out of her shell at Dollywood. Um, after we left mm. Dollywood, she was pretty much fearless at that point. It was kind of like we were having to hold her back from riding things we didn't want her, her to ride anymore. Like if the ride was too intense, if the ride was too rough, we wanted to keep her away from that from now because she's still her brain's still developing. We don't want her to, to mess her up. So like right. no I three hundred five, no Grizzly at Kings Dominion. Yeah, we're just um, right. trying to keep her away from that kind of stuff. So. Whenever, if she ever does act scared of a ride, I kind of try to convince her to do it. But I also remind myself that when I was her age, I wouldn't come close to anything like that. So, right, right. Very different spot in that way. Yeah, no, it sounds like you're doing things right with your daughter. And, you know, we hear stories of people that we interview on this podcast where they themselves or they've seen it with others or they even admit it to doing with it with their kids where... You know, they again, they either have been, quote unquote, bullied, so to speak, by their parents or older brothers or sisters or whatnot, or or they've done mm -hmm. it with their kids and they regret it where they're kind of really push. And, you know, I had peer pressure from my friends uh, that got me onto my first inverting coaster. It was inversions mm -hmm. that scared me, not height. I'm not really scared yeah. of heights, um, but my friends were cool about, it. you know, they were just like, come on, Andrew, you'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy it. They were coaxing me. It was only they were not yeah. really peer pressuring me. And they were successful. And, and they, you know, that, that's when I became a coaster enthusiast at 17, riding um, Great American Scream Machine at, at uh, Great Adventure for the first time. Mm -hmm. I grew up in New Jersey. But but again, you know, the stories of people kind of being kind of like, oh, you're a chicken. And oh, come on. I was riding these things when I was half your age. You know, where, yeah. you know, sometimes parents can get, you know, really kind of a little bit too mm -hmm. aggressive, maybe. You know, it sounds like yeah. you're not doing that, which is great. And, you know, yeah. it's interesting. And yeah, go ahead. I think, my, I think my, my background of how I got into coasters and how I felt about coasters until I was 12. Also, you just got to think back and be like, you know, you know, she's way ahead of where I was. So anything right. that she doesn't want to ride, just don't don't make her. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. I don't have kids, but, you know, I have a, you know, a lot of friends that do kids, grandkids, even, you know, some of my older friends. Uh, and what I've noticed is it's kind of different nowadays than say it was say, to 20 years ago now with social media and everything, there's all this connectedness and competitiveness to some degree as well. But with enthusiasts that have kids or even they even do it with their grandkids, um, they get them, they're doing, like you said, they're measuring them or, you know, I guess parks, maybe parks aren't listening to this too much here. I know getting, I'm not going to name any names, getting one in trouble, but you know, I, I have some friends where they'll put like the tissue paper, paper towels in the kids' shoes to get them, you know, to above, you know, an inch higher to get them above that threshold. And again, doing something like that, it's not going to be dangerous. It's just a little bit of it's half an inch of paper or whatever. But, I, I, yeah. I do admit that when, yeah. I even I have a vlog on it when we went to go ride Revolution for the first time. She yeah, she was at forty eight inches, but um, we did put her her tall shoes on that day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, just basically getting you know, kids into onto these rides as soon as possible and, you know, helping them to overcome their fears by, I mean, by like, you know, with your daughter, if you think about it, you were getting her on those rides as she was getting tall enough. So she was gradually moving up. Right. Like she was exposed to the park quite a bit, you know, going whenever your wife was working mm -hmm. or, or whatnot. So you really were conditioning her in a good way 
but and that's what I'm seeing again with a lot of enthusiast friends. So and then you know you then you wind up with twelve year olds that have 200 coaster credits, for example, and, you know, you're not the first person to, to tell me something like this. And then that creates sort of like almost like a super enthusiast potentially when yeah. that 12 year old, you know, continues to grow up through their teen years. Oftentimes, not always, they'll get into the coasters. They'll do planet coaster, no limits. They'll be getting into social media, coaster kids, meetups, coaster clubs. They'll be doing all that stuff even as a teenager. Uh, you know, and then you wind up with a situation uh, like a recent guest we had on this podcast and a friend of mine, uh, Bradley Edholm, who is 24 years old and he has over 1300 credits. And, you know, he's his parents were both enthusiasts. Yeah, still are. And they started him young. So it's you know like mm-hmm. what you're doing with your daughter. So, yeah. 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 I think it's really cool. Again, I don't have kids. I don't want to have kids. This is my, my personal choice. But I can buy carriers to live through people like yourselves and friends and so forth that have kids and kind of enjoy that and i do like being the uncle so that's right you know that's the fun part stuff yeah 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 so all right well well, thanks for going on that journey with me and the fear journey and and so forth and and now we're going to talk kind of get into the middle of the interview and talk about something a little different related to coasters i think Mm -hmm. this is some fun questions so how many how many coasters have you ridden um where am i sitting right now 563 or something like that oh okay yeah all right you and i are very close i'm at 540 so yeah Mm -hmm. pretty so i can relate you know that's a lot of coasters so Mm -hmm. you've had a lot of credits so a lot of experiences at the parks at this point you know you had quite a bit you know as a teenager preteen into your teen years got away from it but now you've gotten back to the parks obviously with all the things you do covering with airtime thrills and all that yeah so lots of rides so tell me what of all those rides what has been your craziest moment on a coaster hmm craziest moment um have i had any other i mean uh if i had to say a crazy moment it'd probably be getting waterboarded while riding fury Okay, um, I definitely need to explain that. I think I know what you're getting at, but please explain. Yeah, we, we were, I mean, like I always say, even when it doesn't rain at Carowinds, it rains at Carowinds. So <laughs> we were at a par- at the park and it just starts pouring around the front row of Fury. And we're like, you know, we've ridden coasters in the rain before. It's It sucks, but it's it's okay. But you've never ridden a 95 mile an hour coaster in the rain before. Right. <laughs> and, and we're in the front row and we're just getting destroyed. So... We're wearing jackets, so we take our jackets, we put them over our face, and the rain just starts like driving straight through the fabric, straight into our face. And it feels like we're getting we're drowning on the coaster. <laughs> so I'm like we actually kind of got waterboarded on Fury three two five. So then we get back to the station. The op says, "You can guys can stay on if you want." And we're like, "No thanks. We're gonna we're gonna leave." <laughs> and we're like, "We just turned down a front row ride on Fury three two five. Right, we ride. Yeah, but yeah. The circumstances." Yeah, especially living here in Florida. I mean, I've had rain rides before moving here, but especially living here, you can bet I, I get rain rides, uh, you know, when we have storms, when there's not lightning and thunder or it's not close enough yet. So they're still running the rides. But mm-hmm. uh, I remember uh, around this time last year, had some friends visiting from Ohio and we were at uh, SeaWorld and we jumped on Mako in the early part of the day and it was raining and it was cold. It was, you know, winter time. And oof, yeah, that was uh, kind of like a waterboarding event. Yeah, it's yeah. Again, Mako is again, it's not Fury, it's like Fury's yeah. little brother, but it, it still goes pretty fast. I mean, it's not 85, but it's up there. Mm, 
Yeah. Uh, so, you know, yeah, yeah. So I can definitely relate to what you're saying. That's a pretty crazy moment. So now, by the way, where do you live nowadays? Oh, I'm in t- the Tulsa area. That's right. You told me that. Yeah. Sorry. It's been a long day. Yeah, no problem. Years, nice, <laughs> so, okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right, so are you in Tulsa because of work, by the way? Or uh, It was a complicated situation during COVID, um, and it's something that I wanted to move for a while. Um, okay. We chose Tulsa because of family reasons, um, but yeah, obviously it wasn't a coaster-related decision. I was, right. I was kind of pushing for Southern Ohio for that reason. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. and then obviously the, my original choice was Texas. Um, but yeah, we, we settled on Tulsa, which, uh, just because of family reasons and the possibility of people following us out here. And so you lived in, okay. I lived in Southern California. I lived, I actually lived just like five minutes from Magic Mountain. Okay. So you, yes, yeah, so you mentioned you, you would used to live there, but you had been living there before COVID and then, yep. and then, okay, I could not, I, we won't have to get into details here, but I can read between the lines about COVID California, why that would drive you to move somewhere else. And you're not the only one. I, I can understand that. Definitely understand yeah. that. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. So 560 some odd coasters, lots of coasters. What has been your favorite? Uh, my favorite is Steel Vengeance. And it's just hard to believe that anything can top that, that currently exists in the world right now. I know there's a lot of great coasters like Zadra, like uh, Conda, or like Ride to Happiness. But when yep. you think about like my preferences on coasters, it's just I love a long ride. I love a smooth ride. I love uh, a ride that's not too crazy intense. And I love a ride that just throws you out of your seat constantly. Right. And I love a ride that has a lot of whip. And it's like all those things that just described is like Seal Vengeance does that and it does it great. So it's just like, ah, what, how is it anything going to beat that? Which is kind of disappointing on one end because it's kind of like there's nothing out there that I can like, really looking forward to that could possibly be a num- big like a number one. But at the same time, it's like there's this spectacular coaster that's only you know you know a couple hours on a plane for, away from me, and I can go right, right whenever I right. want to. So it's not so bad. <laughs> right. I mean, given that the name of your channel is Airtime Thrills. I'm not surprised that Steel Vengeance would be number one or be right. up there. <laughs> I told, I mean, it is not number one. No, no, no offense. I mean, you know, it's kind of comparing and contrasting. It is nowhere. It's not even my top ten. I am uh, not a big fan of Steel Vengeance because of the airtime. It, it, I like airtime. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, but you know, if someone would call me airtime Andrew, I'd be, you know, I'd be fine with that because I like airtime. Yeah, no problem. But I like other things besides airtime. Mm-hmm. And my issue with Steel Vengeance is it's an imbalanced coaster. It's it doesn't fit the um, Goldilocks formula, so to speak, uh, for coasters. It it just has way too much airtime and not enough other things. That's my issue with it. Yeah, and, no, I, but, I get it. But, I mean, that's why you know. I like raging. <laughs> I, I love raging bull more than other B and M hypers, and that's not exactly it doesn't have as much airtime as some of the other ones. But I feel like right. it's more balanced ride. So I, I understand yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and yeah, then B and M hypers and. Yeah, they're they have a lot of airtime, and again, I don't have any BNM hypers that are in my, anywhere near my top ten. You know, it, it's just I like a balance and like other things as well. Let but, me guess, you could, you yeah. got a lot of intimates in your top ten, don't you? That's correct. Yeah, it <laughs> seems lot. like people oh, if some Maverick, like some Velocicoasters, some. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually there was an intimate poll today. Uh, not a, not a poll. Um, those are fun too. One of those, you know, ask a question like a sticker, and then you can take the sticker and do your version of it, you know, whatever that's called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the, it was something like um, how many of each manufacturer 
uh, mm-hmm. rides are in your top 10 or uh, yeah. whatever it was phrased differently. But so I did it, you know, so I like having fun with that. And I put a picture of my number one, which is Taryn. And uh, my numbers came out to be, again, top 10. So 10 total, seven Intamin, one Vacoma, one Mach, and one Gravity Group. You can probably figure out what the Gravity Group one is. I'm <laughs> guessing that's Voyage. I'm guessing the Vacoma is probably like FLY. Uh, Vacoma's Fly. That's correct. Okay. I don't know and if I should say could... FLY or Fly. <laughs> it, it, it's Fly. It's Fly. Yeah. And then okay. uh, can you figure out what the Mach is? Mock is is that Ride to Happiness? I don't know if yep. you've written that yet. It's Ride to Happiness. Okay. Yeah, I just I just wrote it for the first time on Christmas Day. Actually, it was an oh, epic beautiful. Christmas. Yeah, with, wow. a, with some friends. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but yeah, Ride to Happiness. It has some great airtime, but it's a balanced mm-hmm. coaster. It's yep. not just airtime. So, um, but it, it 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 will it will. You've not written it yet, right? I think you said I, I haven't been out of North America yet, but I'm I'm going to uh, this summer. I'm going to Scandinavia. So. Um, it's, not, it's not the greatest collection up there, but it's something I haven't experienced yet, and I'd love to. So, and um, Coaster Cruise going up there. And oh, are you going there. on the Coaster Cruise trip? Yeah, I will see you on that trip. I'm there. Oh, you're going. I will nice. be there. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's you know, if I had a, a number one pick for like my first international trip, I would probably choose Germany, Poland, Netherlands. Um, that would be like the best collection of coasters, I think. Um, but this one's got quite a. Fit, a some good ones also um and and this it's just like you know i've never traveled internationally before i think it'd be good, good to have like a, a guided tour so i think it's a, a good first trip outside of this uh this continent yeah i mean i've done a number of coaster crew events uh, i'm good friends with tim holleran owner of coaster crew president mm-hmm. of coaster crew he lives here in orlando as well uh i you know i've done you know i think three events with him now i mean depends how you count hollywood nights because that's not really coast crew event but it's they're one of the clubs there um but i've done you know some some of their dedicated events besides that and i think you'll really enjoy um the norden trip i'm i'm sort of looking forward to it uh because tim really d- puts his heart and soul into these trips which is also why sometimes it takes him a long a little longer to get the details out before the event because he's working on the mm-hmm. pretty details he really likes to try and make it really good for everybody where everyone's enjoying it yeah. um and and to your point you know i've been all over europe i've been all over asia middle east uh since you haven't you're doing i think you're doing the right thing sure a trip like that is not the cheapest i mean if you want to do something on the cheap you know you're going to get a bunch of friends rent a car together share hotels together and all that but but in terms of doing something that's comfortable that's a high quality experience and you don't have to worry about anything you don't worry about renting a car you've never traveled overseas you're doing it the best way possible so yeah and, and obviously the, i don't know what the price is going to end up being but i saw the estimate and it's like it's, it's not that bad i mean i just spent ten thousand dollars going yeah. to florida this summer so oh my yeah florida's can be so expensive but yeah, it was it was just because yeah. of the, it was a family trip so um, right right well the park a, lot tickets. Of, a, lot of, a lot of tickets yeah. a lot of uh food a lot of um like the hotels had to be nicer Oh I'm yeah, used to. Yeah. I'm used to staying in the, the worst dive hotels that you've ever seen. But <laughs> the family had to get the, the the Hilton properties and you know the Marriotts and all that stuff. So oh yeah, yeah. I mean that's the common theme when when people come here, especially with families. You know, it's tickets they add up because they're very expensive. Like the most expensive theme park tickets in the world are mm-hmm. here in Florida, here in Orlando. Yeah, uh, and then and then the hotels and the rental car. You know, it's it's a lot. I totally get it. But yeah, the, the Coaster Cruise trip, you'll, you'll enjoy it. And yeah, it's not that expensive. One of the reasons why it's not going to be that expensive, by the way, Chris, is, and I've seen this myself quite a bit, 
And people people don't believe me when I tell them about this. I'm like, go there, you'll see it. Is how cheap heart tickets are in Europe. Yep, I even heard They're, that Comartin lets you in for free if you're an ACE member. Yeah, you get in for free or very cheaply with with Coaster Club memberships. And yep. but you know, even a elite tier park, God tier park, if you will, in Europe, uh, a Fantasia Land, a Europa Park, fifty dollars a day. Yeah, you know, and consider that that frontier city charges eighty to get in. Right, right. <laughs> I'm I'm convinced that one of the main reasons why the parks in Europe are so much cheaper is because they don't have the insurance requirements and regulations that we have here in the U.S. So it's one one of the reasons. But. That's one. That's an interesting theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you'll have a great time on that trip. But uh, maybe not on this trip. But I mean, you know, some some of my friends that are going that you'll meet as well on the coaster crew trip. They have not been outside the U.S. and what they're doing. Is they're extending the trip? Yeah, beginning and end, and doing, you know, Fantasyland or up a park, and yeah, the, the people I talked to yeah. that yeah. I happened to mention they're on the trip. I was like, and they're like, oh, but we're gonna come early and go to Germany first, or we're gonna stay late. And we're gonna go to Poland. And I was like, well, you know, for because of work, um, yeah, I think it's a good, yeah. a good, and also leaving the family for for eleven days. So um, the sooner I get back, the better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what I was just mentioning, a couple of friends, they, again, they've not been there before, and they're extending, uh, and they're kind of following my my um, my lead is the right way to put it, following kind of guidelines for me as they've kind of been a part of my journey going to Europe, especially last year. I went to a lot of these parks in mainland Europe uh, multiple times, and so I've been, you know they've been asking for advice and asking questions and. But in this case, you know, they they um, they can take longer. For me, I, I was, you know, going to consider extending my trip next, this year. And, you know, the dates were just released today of when we have to get there by and when we have to leave by or when we can leave. And I'm like, eh, I don't, I'm not going to take any more time off from work then. So but so I can relate to what you're saying there. It's like, you know, it's yeah. like 10 days. It's probably enough. But yeah. yeah. And I'm also, I also got another two weeker um, about a month. Prior to that, we're, we're going to head up into Canada for the first time in five years. Oh, nice. So we're going to hit like, you know, we're going to hit, you know, uh, World's Fun and, and Lost Island and Cedar Point. Um, and all, obviously, I need to go down to Hershey Park to ride Wildcats Revenge. Um, probably hit Ken- Kennywood. So we're just, it's just kind of like a big loop up into Canada and back down. Nice. So also because of that trip, I really can't swing that much more time off of, off of work. So I'm, yeah, it's yeah. really a short trip. I mean, it's really just a couple of weekends and, and a week between. So, um, the Scandinavia trip or the Norden right. trip. Right. So it's right. actually not that long, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of parks packed in there. And, and it's funny because, um, a lot of people will spend multiple days at parks. Like they'll do right. like four days at Cedar Point or something, and I'm, like, I'm just like, man. For me, it's like go one day, spring for the fast lane, and then move on. Like if you're gonna travel, yeah, I'm gonna hit as much stuff as possible. And this trip, this Norden trip, they are hitting as many parks as you possibly can hit. Like, and that's that's my kind of trip. Like I love this. Like yeah. go th- go to three parks in one day, go to four parks in one day. I think we're doubling up quite a few days on this trip, which is. Was great. Um, I'd rather see more stuff for less time than see less and be able to get a better, like a more complete experience. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim, he these these trips, Coaster Crew, he does them. COVID aside, every year or so, he does like a big mm-hmm. trip. Yeah, and the way I've not done one before, but I have you know a number of friends that have done them before. The Europe trip he did previously, mainland Europe, like Germany and so forth. But um, he. 
what he does with these trips is exactly what you like. Mm-hmm. He he does the one, you know, one day at a park, no more than that. Sometimes I think even doing a couple parks in a day, like a small park. Right. You know, I think Lisa you know, Berg yeah. might be two days yeah. or a day and a half, maybe. I think. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. But for the most part, it's just one, only a day, one day max at a park for the most part. So that, you know, it's kind of aligns up with what you like. I like doing both. Personally, sometimes it's just I want to hit a park and just be done for the day, get my credits. But if I'm a big person that's quality over quantity, I will sacrifice getting coaster credits if I can spend more time at a quality park. I'm talking about an elite, a god tier park, you know, best in the world, top 10 park. Um, I'll spend more time there and I'll go back there again, you know, spending a fair amount of money because, you know, traveling to Europe, for example, versus going to new parks because I want to have those quality experiences and some of these, you know, most immersive parks, best coasters, rides, et cetera. But, um, you know, you mentioned beyond the Scandinavian trip, uh, you know, you said that you're going to be going on, you know, another two week trip. Uh, I'm kind of looking doing the same thing as well. And again, another reason why I'm probably not going to extend the Scandinavian trip, I would love to go with these friends I mentioned earlier for their first time ever to like Europa and Fantasia land. But mm-hmm. I just, I just can't. But speaking of those, um, you know, like you, I'm planning uh, in like in November this year, a few months after the Norden trip to go back to Europe to hit some of those favorites and maybe do some new things, but go back to Fantasia land Europa park. Um, you mentioned earlier about going to mainland Europe. My recommendation to you, you mentioned Netherlands, Germany, and Poland. Um, yep. Now, since you love Steel Vengeance, go ride Zadra. I have very strong, controversial opinions about Energylandia. Mm-hmm. I call it Six Flags Poland. Not I a fan of that park at all. Definitely see why you say that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just it what is. I've seen. Yeah, I mean, there's a few quality coasters there, but um, but what I will say is, uh, Netherlands has some great parks. Germany, especially, has amazing parks. Mm-hmm. But you also should include Belgium. Walby, Belgium's a decent no, no, no. park. Um, you know, Belgium was in that mix too. I just forgot what it was. Called. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, no. When, I, when I said Netherlands, I was thinking Belgium with that too. Kind of lumping yeah. in it. Well, Benelux that, that, is that, that, that four. Yeah. Yeah. Benelux, those three countries, Belgium, Netherlands, and Luxembourg, they're yeah. so small and they're all kind of next to each other. But um, of course, the other one's Plopsaland. So yes. you know, make sure to go to Plopsaland. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For obvious reasons. So, okay. Well, anyway, that's fun. I love talking about international travel. I've done so much of it and I love giving people advice and, you know, certainly, you know, you're doing the coaster crew trip and that's easy because that's, yeah. you know, everything's done for yeah. you. But originally, time, originally I was going to do a, a week in England. Um, when oh, I, first, yeah, yeah. I was like, it was like, I want to do something overseas. And I was like, Oh, I'm looking at these parks in England. I'm like, okay. So Thorpe's near London, Alton's in the yep. middle of nowhere, Blackpool's up by the beach. And then Chessington's out in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, I'm going to have to get a car. And I'm just like, gosh, you know, I've never driven on the left uh-huh. side of the road and the left side of the car before, or the right side of the car. Um, and, I was, and I was like, oh, let me ask Jeff Joyner, because um, he did this oh, in yeah. 2018 with uh, with Logan and Taylor and all of them. And he was just like, oh, it was a nightmare, like driving around London in, in, in the car and being in the roundabouts yeah. with, with the cops chasing you and everything. I was like, you know what? Maybe my first trip should be something guided and not something right. on that right. own. <laughs> Right. And, and again, like I was starting to say, you know, you, everything's taken care of you on that trip. But, you know, along the lines of I was saying earlier, I love helping people and giving people advice and answering questions, you know, things I've experienced that they haven't. And, you know, I, I appreciate the reverse too, mind you. But when it comes time, when you do want to plan that main, mainland Europe, you know, the, the Benelux area, Germany, and then Poland, um, I've done all of that uh, multiple times in some cases. So I'm happy to just reach out to me. I'm happy to uh, give you advice. This goes to our listeners as well. 
Uh, I have rented cars in Europe, uh, mainland mm-hmm. Europe. It's so easy. It's so easy to drive there. Nice. I've, it's good to and know. I've never, and I've, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a car guy too. I, cars are one of my hobbies. Mm-hmm. I have never driven faster than I've driven in mainland Europe because, oh, really? you know, on the autobahn, you legally, in certain sections, mind you, you can drive whatever you want. I've drove mm-hmm. uh, 220 plus kilometers an hour, so it's like 160, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, you know, it's amazing. So, you know, it's. it's crazy I heard that. Um, I think it was Jeff that also said that in Europe they uh, they will give you a ticket. Um, even if you don't get pulled over, because they can track your speed. Yes, they have speed cameras. It's it's they don't have the privacy concerns or groups yeah. a- advocating like we have here in the U.S. So they have red light cameras, all that stuff. So you got to be careful over there. Yep. So I was watching the signs, and I mean, it helped. I was driving a, um, a Tesla Model Three both times mm-hmm. I drove. I drove over there, and it reads the speed the uh, speed limit signs right. and so forth. So the car itself is telling me. With uh, basically when I had the gray no sign, which means no speed limit, yeah. I could tell when that was the case, and you know the car would update, or I would see the signs myself, and I would slow down again. And but yeah, yeah you got to be careful. But anyway, yeah, again, happy to give advice there when, when it comes time. But uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you and hanging with you on the, the Norden trip, finally meeting mm-hmm. in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. sure. So, so favorite coaster still Vengeance it was a great fun tangent there. What about <laughs> what's uh, what's and and this one. You know, it's hard to answer, at least for me. I, you know, I, there's a number of coasters I could pick that are on the other end of things. But, you know, what, if you wanted to just name one example, or if you know the one that you hate the most, your least favorite, what would that be? Oh, my least favorite was, was Green Lantern. I think it's well documented on my channel, Green Lantern at Magic Mountain. Ah, uh, um, okay. It was, exactly. just, it was like, a, it was so bad. It was almost, it felt almost dangerous. And and after my last ride, I actually was thinking like, if I ride this again, I might like have a medical emergency. <laughs> I might <laughs> like I probably shouldn't like ride that again. Um, yeah. But like like as of coasters that are currently existing, um, this Time Warp at Canada's Wonderland is just was just like you don't want to be on a coaster and just pray for it to be over. But that was what I was feeling on Time Warp because it was just like let me just bury my head on this little chin rest and try not to kill my ears any more than they're already bleeding. So um, yeah. I don't know why yeah. they have those, those, those headrests around those things. Cause the one at uh, Coney Island doesn't have that and it's better. Um, but the, the one at Canada's Wonderland is just a train wreck and I can't wait to ride it again this summer just because of, I don't know why I just want to, <laughs> I just want to complain about it. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> do it for the, I'll do so, it for the vlog. <laughs> I'm not, uh, I've not been to Canada's Wonderland. Is that one of those Zamperla flying coasters, yep. so to speak? Okay, yeah, yeah, those are not fun. Yeah, I guess they have I, one I at Rye. Pre- they have one at Rye also, which I have not ridden, but apparently it's the same thing and it sucks. Yeah, interesting. Okay, all right. Well, let's um, let's talk about something much more positive. Let's switch gears here. So the kind of last part of the interview is, uh, in this case, is going to be a few questions about our time thrills, mm-hmm. about YouTube channel. So uh, when we talk about that, tell us about it. How long has it been around? What would you say you specialize in? Yeah, so I created it really because I I love ranking things, and I've always loved ranking things. Um, usually it was like sports things, but um, I was on Instagram posting pictures, and it was just like it'd be fun to have like a platform where I can just like rank coasters, like based on whatever category, what like per park or per manufacturer or per state or whatever. So. 
I created it in 2018. Um, my first video was in April of 2018. So I'm coming up on five years. Nice. So if you look at my channel, most of my stuff is countdowns. Um, I don't do a lot of reviews on there. I don't really like watching review videos and I don't really like making them either, but I do love doing countdowns. Um, so that's really, so if people say, you know, you do too many countdowns, uh, it's, well, that's why I made the channel. So that's too bad. Um, okay. but I'm also, um, I was a history major in college and, um, I went to, you know, I got my two history degrees so I could teach history. And, um, nice. I guess my biggest, um, advice to anyone graduating from college is don't graduate during a terrible recession because there's no jobs out there. <laughs> yeah. So, so when I graduated from college, I didn't, there was just no one that was hiring. So I just took the first job I could in insurance and I've made that into a career. So, oh, nice. so I'm doing nothing with my degrees, but what I have done is I've been able to make like mini documentaries on things. Like I've gained the skills to write research and write while I was in college. And uh, a couple of years ago, I decided, you know, the channel was starting to dip a little bit. And I was like, I need something that will be, that'll get a lot of attention. Um, so I decided sure. to do the the full length documentary on Magic Mountain. And then oh, uh, okay. that one, yeah, when I released the episodes, I was just horrified about how bad it was doing. Um, so, but then when I put it all together and I released it in full last Christmas, um, I think that thing took off like crazy. It's almost at a million views now. So, oh, um, nice, congrats! So, thank you. And I decided, so I, I decided that you know maybe every year I can invest the time to doing a full length documentary on a different park. Um, so last year I did Kings Island. That was because it was Magic Mountain's fiftieth anniversary in twenty twenty one. Last year was Kings Island's twentieth or fiftieth anniversary. Um, this year I'm doing Astro World, so that probably won't oh. come out till May. But I've been doing research on it ever since you know late December. So, um, yeah, the full length documentaries, it's, it's a months long project. I go through tens of thousands of newspaper articles for those things. Um, oh, wow. so yeah, so I spend about an hour a day going through newspaper articles. And then once I get all every, every bit of news I could find on the park, then I got to write the script and those, those are not short and they're not easy to make. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, there's a lot to unpack there and actually I'm going to, that last part of what you described there, the documentary stuff, we're going to talk about that here in a moment. That actually relates to a question I'm going to ask you next, but so we'll, we'll hold off on that. But uh, let's talk about kind of the first part you talked about, when, you know, kind of the traditional countdown videos you do. So uh, forgive me, um, and this is nothing against you. I am, and this may seem like sacrilege, I am not much of a YouTube person. Yeah, I use YouTube. You know, friends send me clips or I see something online or movie trailer or occasionally a theme park thing, you know, some ride announcement or whatever. I will watch YouTube videos, but I'm not someone that generally goes on there and just clicks on this and then clicks on this or goes and checks out a creator. Oh, what else do they have? I don't right. do that for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, I'm more of a podcast consumer, social media, and you know, other things. No, you know, so it's just me. Um, but however, you know, I have watched one of your creations and was blown away by it. And again, we'll talk about that later. It's not one of the countdown videos. Hmm. Now that being said, I I like you. I I love ranking things. It's fun. It's not it's not like I'm not trying to say you know that this is the ultimate ranking. You know this is my you know I will say it's the best for me. It's yep. my best. Mm -hmm. Um, you know greatest of all time for me. But it's just fun to kind of share and compare and 
and things like that. And, you know, I, you know, for example, I've kind of gotten more into ranking as time has gone by. And I mentioned earlier, kind of my renaissance back into the parks and into coasters was in 2017, six years now. So I've been definitely building things up, building up, you know, top 10, beyond top 10, now 25 plus. Because I've not gone back to rides I've ridden before for the most part. But as I've ridden rides over the past number of years, I will rank rank them if they fall on the top. But it's not just coasters. I rank dark rides. I rank rapids rides. I love water rides. Um, I rank uh, theme parks. I've not gotten, I've not sat down and ranked amusement parks. Mm-hmm. You know, your Kings Islands, your Six Flags. Well, again, Six Flags Poland, Energylandia is not a theme park. It's an amusement park. Um, and I keep those in separate classes. And I definitely much rather go to a theme park than an amusement park. And the best is to go to a Fantasyland, Europa, Islands of Adventure, Universal, where, mm-hmm. yes, they're theme parks. Right. But they have awesome coasters, too. Right. So yeah. that, that's my bread and butter. That's that quality I was talking about earlier. But, yeah, bottom line is I do love ranking. I love seeing other people's rankings. And, uh, in fact, I again, I've not watched one of yours. I'm not curious to. But uh, I, one of my friends that is a YouTuber that I do try to support, and he does amazing videos, uh, and he lives just a mile away here in, in Orlando, is my friend Austin. He's an insider. I'm guessing you know Austin is. Yeah. Great oh, guy. Yeah. Uh, and again, when he puts out a video, I'll get the announcement because I'm subscribed, and I, I will watch a lot of his videos. Um, not all of them, but uh, – and he just put out his top 25 mm-hmm. countdown, you know, like that. And all right, yeah, I'm going to watch this. And I, one of the reasons why I was watching it is my number one, just, I just got a number one. Uh, Taryn, when I wrote it in October of last year, became my number two right behind Velocity Coaster. Mm-hmm. There was those intimates we talked about, uh, but they were close. Then I went back for the holidays to Europa Park, Fantasyland, and, you know, to Plopsa for the first time, a couple other parks. But I, I was mainly going there that time because I, one, my company was shut down, so I had the time off anyway. But two... Um, I wanted to go to these holiday events because especially Europa and especially Fantasyland, it's the only time you really can get night rides. Mm-hmm. It's very different in the U.S. And my night ride, my first night ride of numerous ones on Terran, that clinched it as my number one. Just unbelievable for a number of reasons why it's, why it's so amazing at night. So I've talked to Austin in the past about, you know, when Velocicoaster first opened, he and I wrote it. Uh, you know, together for the first time, we were there with a number of friends, uh, and I was asking him because he had ridden Terran already, Terran versus Velocicoaster or Maverick, you know, and because he likes Intamin a lot, and he, it was hard for him, and he, he switched back and forth. So I was like, hmm, I just got Terran as my number one. I, I kind of changed my rankings because of the night ride. I'm curious where Terran is, where's Velocicoaster lately and stuff. So you know, his top twenty-five he just published with his current thinking. And Taryn was his number one because they kept not showing up in the countdown, which mm-hmm. is part of the fun of the countdown. It's like, oh, right. no, he hasn't talked about it yet. <laughs> all is right, it not going to show up at all or is it going to be number one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. is it not going to show up at all or is it going to be like really high on the list? And I'm like, oh, he has not shown Taryn. He's, oh, I know it's high on the list. He's written a lot of coasters now, but mm-hmm. then it was number one. I'm like, yes. All right. Because I respect his opinion a lot. So I'm like, you know, I, I appreciate that we have to say number one. But anyways, but uh, yeah, so the countdown <laughs> videos are fun. But uh, you know, good segue into the next question. You said you've gotten to these more advanced videos, these documentaries. Now, I love documentaries in general. I'm a history buff like you. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I like learning about things. I'll watch documentaries about movies. I love movies about parks, about coasters, about history itself, about world wars, you know, whatever it may be. I love that kind of stuff. And uh, a friend of mine, I used to actually be uh, part of this podcast, used to be one of our producers, um, Nick, Nick Guerrero, a big fan of yours. He uh, mentioned he he reached out to you. That's how you got and I got in touch to get you scheduled for an interview. But he also told me about the King's Island uh, um, documentary. And he says multi-part. And it's amazing. I'm like, oh, wow. I got it. I love King's Island. King's Island is one of my favorite amusement parks. Again, it's not a theme park, in my opinion. Um, and it's, but it's a great park for what it is. And I, I love going there. One of the reasons I love going there is uh, I love, you know, seeing my friends there. Jeff Joyner being one of them. Jeff and Logan, mm-hmm. they're awesome friends of mine. Great, great people. Wonderful people. Wonderful people. And I cherish my friendship with them and so many other King's Island regulars. And uh, I was excited to see, because I didn't know about it, uh, during when watching the King's Island documentary that you made, how much Jeff really helped you out. That's, and it's like, that's Jeff. Yeah. He loves helping oh, yeah. people. One of the things yeah. His, his dad, guy. his dad has a extensive photo gallery. And um, I asked for that early on. I don't know if he offered, I think he actually offered it early on. Um, I think I mentioned it to him and he's like, Oh, my dad is a, you can use these pictures. And it's just a gold mine of stuff oh, yeah. from the, from the seventies through the eighties. It's just, it's amazing. Oh, it was yeah. so invaluable to have that for that document. It was so hard to find footage and, and uh, pictures. I found that with the Magic Mountain. Like, no one really took pictures and video of Magic Mountain back in the 70s. But, yeah, in, the, in Kings Island, in the, it was um, – it helped a lot. It was very, very thankful for that. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I saw how much – you, of course, did the right thing. You were giving people photo credit. Mm-hmm. And it was all joiner, 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 joiner. It's like, oh, this yeah. is awesome. This is so cool. So, you know, you talked about how you would create the Magic Mountain one, and which I didn't know about, because again, I'm just not, I don't peruse a lot of YouTube stuff, but right. uh, the King's Island one I found out about, you know, and I've watched it. I remember watching it uh, over a series of days. I work from home, as I said earlier, eating lunch and eating dinner at home. That's pretty much the only time I watch TV. I don't watch a lot of TV. So I, you know, put on my YouTube on my Apple TV and just get through it over a week or two. And just, I couldn't wait to watch more of it. I'm like, oh, this is so good. And you know, I, I just loved it. But but what made you decide you did the Magic Mountain one? What made you decide to do the Kings Island one next? So the Magic Mountain one was because it's my, my home park and I kind of I grew up with it. And sure. um, just the whole history of the park's always been interesting to me. And uh, even though I knew a lot about it, I also learned a ton about everything. And just when you grow up with a park and you've been going there for half its history, like that just was an obvious, like clear pick that I, I needed to do it. For Kings Island, uh, it was two reasons. One, it was because they were celebrating their 50th anniversary also. It's kind of a natural sure. point to look back at their history. Um, that's why for this year, it was kind of like Worlds of Fun or, or Carowinds. I was like, mm, maybe I'll go off the board this year and go to do Astro World because um, Carowinds would have been a decent one, but I kind of wanted a, a park that was, was popular and people really um, had interest in. And also because Kings Island is my number one park that I've ever been to. Um, I think just because it, it combines the great ride collection with the quality. And then the thing that puts it over the top for me is the way the parks run and the operations. Yes. It's, it's so yes. noticeable. Like I've never had a day there where it was like, oh, this park's, I mean, Cedar Point's great too. But I've had a few days over the last few years of Cedar Point where they were just not, they were not having it. It was a yeah. disaster. But Kings Island, it's just they're always firing on all cylinders. They got all their, you know, all the rides are running at full capacity. 
rides are rarely closed. And if they are closed, there's a good reason for it. Like I think the only ride that was closed my, my last few trips was racer. And that was because they were retracking it. So it's understandable. So, right, um, right. so after my 2020 trip, I was like, you know what, this is my favorite park. And I made a video explaining why. And then it was just like, you know, Kings Island's 50th anniversary, rich history. Lots of interesting things have come through that park over the last 50 years with beast and the son of beast and the bat. And uh, yeah, it was just, it just seemed like a natural thing. It was kind of like, if I'm going to do a documentary, if I'm going to invest the time to do a documentary, if I'm going to invest four months of my time to do a documentary, it's going to be for a park like Kings Island. Nice. Yeah, I know that a lot of good answers there, good reasons. And I, I, you know, totally relate. Uh, you know, I've been to Cedar Point numerous times, been to Kings Island numerous times. And I used to think this is kind of going back to the my first uh, tour, if you will, as an enthusiast from my, you know, 17 when I when I really conquered my fears until my college years, you know, going in, back into the early 2000s. Uh, you know, before kind of getting away from it. And then my, you know, during that first tour, towards the end of that, I'd gone to Cedar Point a couple of times and I'd been to Kings Island too. And I love both, but Cedar Point was like, oh my gosh, it's the best amusement park. You know, the coaster collection, oh my, it's, it's just incredible, incredible. And I still would say, you know, Cedar Point's amazing, but in my second tour, starting back in 2017, I've been to Kings Island and Cedar Point numerous times. It's been a switch between the two. Mm-hmm. And Kings Island really has has in my opinion taken that number one ohio park spot for me and it's for the reasons you mentioned the operations the ride collection how it's matured uh, now this is sort of not park specific but in a way it is i think the at least the ones that i've met for the most part the locals the the mm-hmm. enthusiasts that live there and are always at king's island the ones i meet up with just a great people, great selection of people. The joiners being an example of that. I've gotten to know you talked about the operations. Operations at Kings Island are incredible. They are almost as good as Universal Orlando. Yeah. That's how good no, they are. Totally agree. Yeah. And and, and, and it's weird that they, they can get everyone on the same it seems like everyone's on the same page. I was like, yes. From the lowest level employee to the full time managers, they all have a good attitude. And it's yes. like, how do you even how do you even get that? I'd love to yeah sit in on like their orientation or something just to see how they can just kind of drive that. Or maybe it's, you know, I don't know. Cause I worked at magic mountain and we didn't have that. It's, yeah. It's like everyone yeah. was off in their own thing. The morale was pretty low. It just seems like Kings Island is completely different. Oh yeah, no, for sure. And, and I, again, I'm a little bit biased. I mean, well, you know, I, I know I have a number of friends that work in the industry. You know, mm-hmm. at the parks and even you know i have friends that work for financial creative and all over the place but at, in ops i have a number of friends that work in ops and you know universal orlando disney king's island carowinds all over the place and the friends i have at king's island they are just so passionate about what they do i'm not saying the others aren't other parts but every friend that i have that works at king's island they are so passionate and so devoted to their jobs and it shows and it makes it a huge difference i'm not gonna i don't want to i don't like to get into negativity on this podcast but i could easily contrast maybe to it after we're done recording another park one of my home parks that's all i'm going to say that is at the other end of the spectrum with consistency and quality and operations mm-hmm. and it's a huge difference for me huge difference and it really stands out so i completely understand why you would choose king's island and i loved how you filmed it you know or Say filmed it, how you produced it, how you edited it. It's so simple, but makes so much sense to do the five parts, 
70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, you know, because it's 50 years. So five parts made a lot of sense. But for me, I've watched bad documentaries, you know, and where they're just, they don't keep you involved. They don't keep your attention going. They don't have you wondering where's this going to turn next? What details did I not know about this place I've spent so much time in? And am I going to learn next? Mm-hmm. And that's how it was with Kings Island with your with their documentary. It was it just kept me going, and you know I there are a number of people like yourself that you know YouTube channels and whatnot that do documentaries. That's one of the things they do. And in my opinion, now granted, I've only seen one of your documentaries. Um, I, I need to watch Magic Mountain because I love that park. It's one of my home, original home parks from you know when I lived in California, as I said earlier. But in my opinion. It's you and Kevin Perger. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't want to compare myself to Kevin Perger. <laughs> I get on, it. I, he's on I, a professional level that I can never match, but he's, um, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. No, I, I know. no, absolutely. No, I mean, I, again, I'm not going to name names about, I'm, about others that I'm not putting up there, but I, I have seen other people's documentaries and they're quite good, even ones that were sold. Uh, to pay f- to view, uh, to say that much, but in my opinion, your documentary Kings Island is even more up there in terms of what I liked. Just like, in, in my opinion, you what you do is similar to the style of what Kevin does. I realize you may not put yourself up there with him. I, I, I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I, I've always kind of had a. I, I've never gotten into it professionally or anything, but I, I just always like the idea of producing something like that like um yeah like like a, like a with the mixing the music and with the dramatic yeah. cuts and everything like i've always exactly. really been fascinated with it and it's you know being an amateur it's you know i do my best but i i appreciate that that you oh, yeah. enjoyed, enjoyed that piece of it <laughs> absolutely you know keep keep it up in my opinion it's a great style and you know it's one more comment on defunct lens which we're talking about him right. uh just because of the timing uh, last night I was hanging out with some friends here in Orlando. I was at their house and we were having dinner, watching some YouTube. They had, you know, and they they're real big Disney people. They love mm-hmm. Disney, and so my friend asked me, "Hey, have you seen the Epcot um, uh, uh, Defunct Land video? I'm like about the you know leading up to the creation of Epcot and you know what Walt was trying to do there and everything." No, no, but I love that story. I mean, I've seen things about mm-hmm. the story. So we watched that during dinner, and then you know something that was incremental. Or imp- a very uh, instrumental, I should say, in Walt, in terms of what he did with the parks and what he was trying to do with with Epcot, the his original idea for Epcot, he was very much influenced by the World's Fairs. Mm-hmm. And my friend and I, uh, that you know, we were talking there, and he and I both love the concept of World's Fairs, but we're both too young; we never have gotten to really go to one. And right. he's like, he's like, have you seen Kevin's World's Fair documentary about the New York's World's Fair in 1964? Mm-hmm. I'm like, no. So we watched that next. Just so such good. It's just yeah. so riveting. I so yeah. Keep up the documentary work. I the, love it. The one, the one that yeah. I, the, yeah. the Funkland episode that I probably yeah. my favorite. It's probably Hong Kong Disneyland. I've watched oh, that one a couple okay. times just to get some background information because I was doing some work on it. And it's just like I don't know of all the ones he's made. That one is the is the bee's knees. <laughs> so that nice. One, that one's nice. great. And then he, he did one on Green Lantern also, and he actually reached out to me to get some of my footage. For oh, it. nice. So I was happy to help him with that because um, that and that's one of his most watch videos which is funny <laughs> it's like you must watch videos on this horrible coaster that sometimes how it goes <laughs> and actually i just realized another reason why i probably compare you to him your voice is similar to his 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have noticed that, but it's it's similar. That, that's, yeah, that's so, true. I, I really, yeah. I mean, my voiceovers are just a struggle. <laughs> it's just they're so hard for me. I don't know. I can talk. I can talk better in a one-on-one conversation. When I'm trying to talk on the microphone, it, it doesn't always go great. It, sometimes it gets rushed. Um, yeah. So whenever people say that, I'm just like, I know, I know, I'm trying. <laughs> it's hard. And then like, it's it's just like you know when people say, oh, it's a tongue twister. For me, it's like everything's a tongue twister. Like you have to you have to find the ones that aren't tongue twisters. And when I'm writing a script, I I'm writing, I'm reading it back. I'm like, I'm not gonna be able to say that. I have to right, delete it and right. reword it. So yeah, it, it's it's tough, and I, I just appreciate people like Kevin. Um, the way he narrates his his uh, his videos is just so professional and and just smooth. So oh yeah, yeah. Another one. If you're ever looking to get like different types of advice, obviously you could talk to Kevin. But you know, besides Kevin, one person I'd recommend you talk to if you're kind of trying to get your alliteration better, learn some tricks. Um, just blown away by how good he is with his alliteration is Sean from Theme Park Worldwide. Mm-hmm. He, he is so good with his 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 narration and his his vlogs and everything. He's just he rarely makes a mistake, and he's he's not too fast, and he's just so yeah. good. So that's another yeah. one. But yeah, so so you did the Magic Mountain documentary, did yep. the Kings Island one, mm-hmm. do Astroworld, and I never got to go to Astroworld. You mean either? Oh, you neither. Okay, no. so you 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 did you're doing the documentary from the perspective of having never gone. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. Looking forward to that one. What do you think you'll do after Astroworld? Yeah, from there, it kind of lines up very nicely. Um, Great Adventure is kind of the natural one for seventy uh, for 2024, because that's a uh, 50th anniversary for that park. Right. Um, after that, then you have a couple options. I think King's Dominion would be a great one to do for for 2025. That's their 50th anniversary. Right. You could also, you could also do Disneyland for their 70th. But... Um, I don't know. It's weird. I always thought that Disney content would do great because everyone loves Disney. Um, but my Disney content, man, that did not do well. My Six Flags content is way better than my Disney content. Um, it's, yeah, it's I, probably... I think Disney people. I think Disney people have their own people. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know. That, that's kind of what I was thinking. What my guess is, and again, I'm no YouTube expert, kind of like what you just said there is, and there's nothing against you. There is so much competition on the Disney side of things. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. There's so, I mean, for every, I'm just going to make a guess. For every poster focused channel, there's probably 10 Disney channels. You yeah. Know, in terms of and, 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 and the Disney channels are hardcore Disney. Yeah. They love yeah. Disney. I don't love Disney. Like, I, I like Disney. Uh, I have nothing against Disney. I don't not like Disney. It's just that I'm not obsessed with Disney. And the people who do Disney content are just like all up in the, the hardcore Disney. I can't compete with yeah. that. So maybe I yeah, should I mean, stay away. Yeah, I mean, I have a Disney World pass because I live here in Florida. I'm fortunate that you know I can have the cheaper passes because they're so much cheaper. And I mean, nowadays you can't even buy passes for the most part. So luckily, I got grandfathered in, and I, I have more than a pixie pass and all that. And I go once or twice a month. But I, I am not hardcore Disney. I can't be for well, it gets into politics and stuff. But you know, I just can't. I can't do that myself. But mm-hmm. um, it's just too much. It's too intense, yeah. and there's too much toxicity. But you know, on a casual, you know, theme park lover, yeah, I do like Disney. Um, yeah. But I think there are better parks on the theme park side than a lot of the Disney parks. But uh, so anyways, that's yeah. one of the reasons why I'm thinking Kings Dominion would be a great park to do. Yeah. The, the whole the yeah. whole 
the whole um king's entertainment chain just the whole the whole story is so interesting with the paramount takeover and then the cedar fair buyout and everything oh yeah it's just so interesting and then and then um the next year is quite a few parks I'm, I'm thinking six flies great america would be a great one to do for for the next year so um, that's kind of how i'm seeing it line up um okay. assuming i'm still making documentaries in in three right. years uh who knows right. i mean i just kind of started doing it so i you know i i it's just hard for me to, to imagine myself stopping doing this because it's become like a second job with uh, like another full-time income coming in. So it's kind of like, if I stop, then, you know, the money stops coming in and then that'll be bad. <laughs> so right, I just don't right. see how it's going to end, but it's got to end at some point. I just don't know how. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you, you brought up a good point there. And it's something that, you know, for those that are listening that have not watched your documentary about Kings Island yet, I encourage you to, first of all, uh, it's a five-parter, so you can digest it one part at a time. It's fairly easy to digest. Um, one of the things that I think you did really well is talking about the change in ownership and Taft and Paramount and just the, it's you know and, and Cedar Fair, and it's fascinating. And I went to Kings Island originally as a Paramount Park, and then came back to it later. Yep. Uh, so did I. Yeah, Cedar Fair. Yeah, a lot of us, a lot of us did. And if you think about it, Kings Island is an incredible park. Uh, it yep. is definitely, I've not ranked them yet, but it would definitely be in my top 10 amusement parks. Yep. Um, and if you if you think about it, a lot of parks, they don't change hands for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean, Six Flags has had different owners, but it's still Six Flags. Mm-hmm. Whereas Kings Island, it went through some major theming changes and oh, yeah. fundamentals changed a lot with some of the ownership changes. And it is a fascinating story and you've covered it really well. So, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So... One question that we're starting to ask a new question we're at here in the third season, and I don't know if I've given it to you in advance, so I apologize if I'm blindsiding you here, uh, but we're starting to ask this of our guests is, you know, let me, let me kind of help you here because this is a new question. So, you know, obviously you're an enthusiast, you're a dad, you know, you're loving getting your daughter involved, but now you're also really getting, you're getting out there the past five years with your channel, the documentaries and so forth, the countdowns. So thinking about all the ways in which you kind of operate in the theme park sphere and the amusement park sphere, how would you say would like your family, your friends, your colleagues to remember you by? Uh, For one thing that I've um, tried to do since, I don't know, especially over the last few years since my channel has gained popularity is to be someone who's helpful and is there for people when they need it. Um, I kind of, a few years ago, I kind of had an issue with people taking other channels down for really stupid reasons. Um, you know, okay. Yeah. You used, you used a little clip of their POV on their video and then you strike them and get their channel canceled. It's like, that's really screwed up. Um, so like I started my second YouTube channel, which is where I just post off-ride footage copyright free for anyone to download and use in their videos. And I have over 300 coasters posted on that channel at this point. I've been doing that since 2019. Um, so I just kind of wanted to, you know, I, I, I wish I could support channels more than I can. Um, when I was living in California, it was a little easier. I had a little bit more time to watch other people's videos and comment and like and everything. Um, now that's very few and far between where I can find some time to actually, you know, watch other people's videos. But at the very least, um, I still provide, you know, I try to get people's footage out there if they need, if they need something. I 
I can provide it for them if, if possible. If they need me to come on for a podcast or you know, need to make a cameo in their video, I can do that. No problem. So, um, yeah, I just don't want to be remembered as, you know, that jerk <laughs> with someone who's, um, who can, you know, be out there and, and be helpful and be a positive force, not be the person who struck out six channels and took them off YouTube. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. I love it. Um, I, like I said earlier, I love helping people myself. Um, it's part of why I volunteer my time with this podcast. We don't make a penny with this podcast. If we ever do make money of you know, selling shirts and merch, you know, which we do on occasion, um, that money goes to charity. Mm-hmm. I don't take a penny. In fact, I, this is a, um, how can I put this? This is a loss for me for this podcast financially because I put money into it, you know, for certain yeah. things at certain times. But again, I love donating my time and even money to help people. And I do that, you know, with friends, I love helping friends out. I was talking about that earlier, helping people plan trips. And I love people taking people around parks they haven't been to and, you know, and, and make sure they have a good day and, 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 and all that and fun times. So I can totally relate. I love it. I've not heard of a YouTuber doing this again. I'm not big in the YouTube thing. Maybe others have, maybe not, but you having a separate channel copyright free where people can just download it and use it. That's amazing. That is awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. And, and I've seen, you know, a, a lot of other channels, I've done that, not necessarily on a separate channel, but um, but it doesn't really matter where you put it as long as it's out there. Like uh, Canopy Coaster is someone who just puts a ton of copyright free stuff out there. Coaster nice. Hipster, El Toro Ryan does it also. And there's other people I talk to that don't want to do it. You know, they say that, you know, I took the time to take the footage. I don't feel comfortable with people just using it. That's fine. That's their choice. Um, yeah. And and then you have the people who will actually go to the, the official channels to take your channel down if they find a clip that yeah. you use it's just that's i think that's ridiculous yeah um, it's petty petty so 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 it seems like more and more i've seen you know you search for footage you'll see people actually put no copyright in the title and i think it's not something i created but at least i, I hope maybe it's something i inspired for some people to do just by having yeah. that channel out there and, and being more of a community where people actually you know really share things um and you know support each other rather than nice. a, a, a breakneck competition i i know one prominent a coaster enthusiast who I secondhand I heard this, but you know he says that he doesn't watch other people's channel because they're the competition. And it's like, is that really how you want to see it? Because that's a little messed up and a little too competitive for something like this. I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, I mean, I recognize some of the names you mentioned there, but in particular, Alto Ryan, um, friends with Ryan. He's a great guy, one of the nicest guys I've met in the in the enthusi sphere, as I call it. Uh, and I'm also friends with a. a, a other people that are uh, help with this channel that are on his channel, uh, Mark Martinez, yeah. uh, and then uh, Airtime Mike, they're both great guys. I've yeah. known, I've known Mark for years now. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're good people there. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm not, I didn't know that Ryan offers that copyright free footage, but it does not surprise me in the slightest because yeah. he's just such a nice and you, guy. And you mentioned earlier, Austin uh, from Amusement Insider. Yeah. He's also yeah. been very generous with his footage and he's got some great equipment. That he that he takes on the rides with him and um it just makes for some amazing content and he makes no limits or i think it's no limits creations that are spectacular also and yeah he's just um another another great force in the community so uh, oh yeah appreciated I mean, yeah i mean i've been friends with mark or sorry excuse me but friends with austin now i've known him uh since early actually since late 2018 when he was just getting started back then I mean, yep. he was not the tour de force he is now. He was, you know, getting ready to build things up when he moved here to Florida back then. 
And I just, I, I love helping promote him, sharing his videos. And like you said, he's just a great guy, very kind and generous as well. Another good example of that. And yeah, he uses No Limits 2 as well as Planet Coaster mm-hmm. for what I think is his bread and butter, which yeah. is his concept. You know, he's, he puts his heart and soul. And I don't know how he does what he does, where the coaster, you don't have plans for it. You don't have a any kind of a concept POV at all for it yet. Park hasn't released it. All they're doing is they've got footers in the ground and maybe some track line there. And yeah. how he, it, it's like one of those things like people that can visualize things in their head just by looking at the ceiling and not having anything in front of them. And just, he does it. I don't know how he does it. I forgot what coaster but, it was that he, he made a rendering of. And then I went back and watched it like a few years later. And I'm like, oh my God, you, you almost nailed it. Like you got the finale a little bit wrong. I think it was a, right. was a Ryan. It might have been a Ryan where he just absolutely drilled the layout. <laughs> it's just like, yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a savant with this stuff. And I was just telling a friend about this uh, the other day I was hanging out with, we had Austin on here uh, when Velocicoaster first opened. Mm-hmm. He and I had already ridden it a number of times and we kind of unpacked Velocicoaster. We did kind of a brief interview like you and I did the first half, you know, the typical interview. We spent a decent amount of time talking about Velocicoaster and I had a special surprise for him. At that point in time, this was, you know, May of 2021, there was only basically one illegal POV on YouTube. Uh, from Velocicoaster, because it's mm-hmm. so hard to get equipment on that ride, of course, yep. the metal detectors. Someone had <laughs> right. it, and it was, wasn't me or Austin, someone else. And so I took that video. It was already out there, so I, I took it, and I did a side-by-side video with Austin's concept. Be the latest version of it, mind you. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's not like he updated it really after he wrote it. You know, mm-hmm. he, the last time he updated that video was months before. And I synced him up before I, I did the interview with him. And during the interview, like you and I here, this is a podcast. It's audio only, but we were on Zoom together so I could show him something. So during the interview, I think we went up cutting it because it's kind of awkward. to t- You can't talk about video without showing the video for a few minutes. But but anyway, I while I recorded the interview with him, at least, I showed him the side-by-side and how close he got it. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, to, and I was that was one of the ways I want to show appreciation for him. Like, awesome, the work that you do is just incredible. So, and that's yeah. just his bread and butter. But anyway, there's a lot of good YouTubers out there. Uh, and, you know, Coaster Challenge started as YouTube. Uh, you know, I would get some video for the channel. This is in the early days, but then we pivoted to podcasting. But I, I decided to start helping David when I met him in 2018 because this isn't a channel that's about making money. No respect to people who do. And I felt like I can be part of this and not have to be a competition, feel like I'm in competition or whatnot. Not, not because, like you said, there are these YouTubers that, you know, are in it, you know, even to make a living off of it. And some of them are great. Austin makes a living off his YouTube yep. channel along with buying the thrills. But mm-hmm. he's a nice guy. He remains mm-hmm. nice. But unfortunately, as you pointed out, there are others that haven't. And it's just it's really unfortunate that this this hobby it's all about fun. And theme park therapy, for that matter, these positive things people get can get negative when they start competing with each other. It's and I'm glad glad to hear that you're not one of those. <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was interesting to talk about that though. So uh, you know, great. I, I think it's great that you want to be remembered by someone that helps people, and you really demonstrated how you are that way. And I'm sure you will be will be remembered that way. Uh, now, speaking of being helpful. Another good segue here. I'm killing the segues, I think, today. Um, one of the last really main questions we ask is, what advice 
would you like to give those that are listening? Uh, so you're talking about advice for writing coasters or, or YouTube type of advice? Um, this, I, I would say, I mean, it could be that, but normally this advice is in the, in the spirit of the mission of the podcast, theme park therapy, facing fears, uh, living a positive life overall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you take a look at my history through coasters and it seems like it's, it's weird that it seems like a lot of people who are into coasters used to be afraid of them. And I don't know if that's just because everyone was afraid of coasters at one point. Um, it doesn't seem like that's the case, but it seems like people who've overcome that fear have really, really are, you know, they, they get into coasters more so than people who maybe weren't afraid of them at first. And it's kind of a strange dynamic where obviously that happened to me. It sounds like it happened to David also. Um, yep. So, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, as long as you're not going to do something, any, anything crazy, um, diving into things a lot of times will pay off for you. And if you, if you're afraid of something, it's, it's, you're, if you're just going to, I think most of the time you're just going to regret not trying something new. And, um, I just can't imagine any time in my life where I tried something different and regretted it. So if you're out there and you're afraid to, you know, if you're afraid of the park and you're afraid to ride the ride, you're going to go home and you're just going to, you might be, I don't know. I can't imagine how that'd be a positive thing. It's like, okay, I avoided that terror, but if you, you know, maybe you, maybe you write it and you don't like it, but at least you can say you did it. And now, you know, so right. I guess my thing would just be, you know, trust the fact that these things are safe um, and just dive right in and, and take your ride and see if it's, if it's your thing. Cause it seems like most of the time it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's great advice. And um, you know, the first thing you mentioned is kind of poignant about how you've kind of noticed that people who wind up having to face some sort of fear as being part of being into the parks and the coasters, for example, they tend to get more into it than someone that maybe never had to face any fears. They never were scared. And there are people out there that are like that. They, uh, they're fortunate, I think, in a way that they don't have that anxiety driving them in life and they're kind of fearless. But, you know, I, but your point about the most of us who, again, we face fear, you know, you mentioned you have, David has, I have, and it means more. And that's, that's part of that accomplishment. Facing fear is not just, good to so you'll get on a ride it really is you triumphing over one of the most limiting aspects of the human psyche yep and i mean not to make it all dramatic but really that's what it is and the thing that is very poignant about it that i've noticed in talking to people interviewing people in this podcast things i've noticed in my life is by facing fears on coasters on rides on these controlled fun things we're able to face fear and anxiety better in other parts of our lives, you know, more serious parts of our lives, you know, job issues, family issues, tests, taking tests in school, you know, whatever it may be going on a date, you know, I, you know, it's public speaking like Jeff Joyner, he's a master of that. So it's, it's, you know, you can take this sort of almost inconsequential thing. Oh, it's just, Oh, it's just parks I go to. It's just the thing I do for fun. But really, it can be so impactful in very important parts of your life. Yeah, so, and, and you really, you really hit it on there about how you know people that face fears, it means more 
to them than people that don't. It's so poignant. So thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. So last, so yes, absolutely. So the last thing I'd like to have you tell us is again, we've kind of already hinted at it, but you know, we already know your, what your channel name is, but you know, formally now you can go through, you know, your, you know, where people can find you, you know, you know, the name of your social media accounts, YouTube, et cetera. Just how can people find you? Yeah. So I am at airtime thrills on Instagram, airtime thrills on YouTube. And then obviously I have my second channel where I, you, I just post footage. Um, I don't expect anyone to really watch it, but if you need to grab something from there, feel free to do so. And then um, last year, late last uh, fall, I started a baseball channel because my first love and my uh, always forever love is baseball more than coasters. Nice. So uh, I decided to make a, a YouTube channel for that. It's called Home Run Productions. And um, so I've been at that for a little over a year at this point. So um, if you guys are into baseball, then you might want to check that out. It's kind of a similar style of airtime thrills in terms of I do rankings and uh, retrospectives and this, um, just, you know, dumb stuff, just, uh, stuff that I'm passionate about in terms of major league baseball. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Well, thanks for sharing all that. Mm-hmm. And thanks for sharing your time. Time is one of the most absolutely have in life. So thank you for taking the time today to speak with me and, and, uh, and speak to our audience and, uh, really appreciate it. All right. Sure. Absolutely. Thanks guys. I appreciate uh, you inviting me on. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you want to see more of us, we upload every Friday. Be sure to like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, all at Coaster Challenge. Links are in the description below. Thanks for joining us here today.